Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Yes, thank you, thank you. You don't want to try the hello again? You sounded like a teenage boy with your voice cracking there. I mean, I I kind of was aiming for that. It's it's all part of my grand attempt to make people think I'm younger. Ah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, as you just heard, is Ellie Mistal. I'm back. Back in the New York groove. You were not here for a couple of days. I've been in Austin. Yeah, I can tell from all the content you've been producing from there. <laughs> Austin is a lovely town, and I love going there. I love all the food. I generally like the live music. Um, I'm more of a piano bar kind of guy than a country and western kind of guy. But you can okay. find that in Austin. Okay. Um, so that's pretty cool. But the thing that I'm pissed off today is actually about the city of Austin. Oh, I got there just in time for there to be some kind of freaking water crisis where it's you no, know, it's Texas, so you kind of expect potentially drought conditions. This was the opposite. There was so much water flooding in through the Colorado from all the different places that it overloaded the Austin water filtration system. And so for the entire uh, time that I was down there, you were not allowed to drink tap water. You had to boil your water. You had to – I was brushing my teeth with bottled water, um, which felt wow. like – really strange first worldy kind of dystopia sounds like flint but for white hipsters <clears throat> the worst that i did not think about until it happened was that without clean running water there's no ice yeah that would be true without ice there's no cocktail i mean you can have warm cocktails but sure but who does that i don't know have a hot toddy. You'll be right? fine. So once you get sick of, and, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a huge uh, beer drinker. You know, I'll have, I'll, I'll enjoy an autumnal mead. So you don't like beer? I, <laughs> it's not my go-to, right? <laughs> um, my go-to is, is, the, is the rum and coke. Depending on the weather, sometimes it's the G&T. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't have either because there was no ice. So being in Texas, um, naturally, I was like, well, then I guess I'm just having shots of tequila. Yeah. I mean, shots is a perfectly acceptable way of... And let me tell you, there's some... And I don't think this was true when I was like in my 20s or 30s, but now as I'm into my 40s, just replacing rum and Cokes with shots of tequila turns out to be a terrible idea. Well, I mean, tequila is not my friend. Uh, I would rather, like, I don't know why you weren't taking shots of rum or something like that. I just, because I was in Texas and I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, if I was in the islands, I would have had shots of rum. If, mm. if I was in the islands and there was no ice, I would have had shots of rum. But I was in Texas, went in, do as. Okay. Um, do you know what's the worst thing then about having shots of tequila all night besides uh, losing $100 to strippers as maybe happened to me in this uh, poker game that I was in? Um, the worst is waking up in the morning completely dehydrated and not being able to have any water. Yeah. Yeah, that's where Pedialyte comes in. Oh, my God. Austin. Austin, you, you, you almost killed me, Austin. Fair enough. But you're here. You're back. So let's, uh, let's talk about why you were in Austin because uh, it certainly wasn't for the tequila. Uh, no, it was not. So you were there for the 
ACC show. So how did that go? Association of Corporate Council. Gathering up. It's like the gathering of the juggalos for in-house council. <laughs> um, yes, I was in Austin for the annual meeting for the uh, ACC um, organization. Um, ACC is the biggest organization for in-house council. And so from an above-the-law kind of perspective, it's always good to to get out with the people and hear what they're, what they're concerned about. You know, one of the strengths of above-the-law is that, you know, all of us have been lawyers. All of us have worked at firms. None of us have worked in house. None of the full, none of our full time right. people have worked in house. My wife works in house, but I can't usually understand what she's talking about when she comes home. Even um, so, that's not the best resource for me. So you know, getting out and talking to um, this important group of lawyers um, about what they think about, um, especially in terms of client services, because they are the clients for a lot of the big law firms we cover. Um, that's always that's always an interesting time. Yeah. So did you pick up any trends that were coming out of this show yes. that like everyone was talking about? Yeah. Well, yes, I did. And okay. I, I would say the biggest one is I don't know, don't know if you heard have heard of this, but apparently a, a Hollywood mogul um got in trouble for some sexual harassment issues. Really? And it started a whole kerfuffle right now. Wow. About Sexual harassers in the workplace. You would have you would have thought this would have come up, but I'm uh, this is the first I'm ever hearing of this. <laughs> it's kind of a moment happening yeah. right now. Almost, yeah. And sure enough, in-house lawyers are particularly concerned about what they need to do now should one of their employees be credibly accused um, of various levels of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. Mm. Um, that was kind of a thing. Okay. So that um, was a lot of the focus was, was kind of HR Yeah, issues. a lot of focus was HR. A lot of the focus was crisis management mm. um, um, in these situations. And then surprisingly, one of the more interesting uh, panels that I went to was really talking about it from the perspective of multinational corporations, right? So m- most people were pretty at least that I, I talked to, we're pretty aware of the American laws regarding sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct and the reporting structure and how, what you have to do here. But what happens when your company sends a manager to India, to Guatemala, to Venezuela, to, to a place with a kind of completely different regulatory environment, and in some places, in some cases, a completely different workplace culture, right? And then one of them um, is accused of of harassment or really grave um, misconduct. What are your duties? What are your abilities? Which law are you even under? Right? If you're if you got wow. a guy in India, are you is he protected by Indian laws, which are somewhat more protecting of the accused? Uh, in certain contexts than art, or is he uh, subject to American law? If your company is based, you know, if you have yeah. a Delaware corporation, um, or both, a lot of times the answer is both, um, um, which is confusing. So that that was interesting, and, and obviously, in-house counsel tend to be, you know, pretty much your first line of defense here. And I think that one of the things that we've seen in the Me Too moment. Um, it's not always clear what side they're on. Yeah. Right. In-house counsel, I guess. I guess it is always clear what side they're. They're on the side of the company. Right. But what does that mean exactly? Right. You have one perspective that's basically being on the side of the company means rooting out these these predators mm-hmm. um, um, who who commit the misconduct, rooting them out quickly and decisively um, to protect the company's exposure on these issues. Right. But there's another school of thought that 
protecting the company means protecting these people who are usually men in higher up positions um, from the always the specter of the unfounded allegation, uncorroborated allegation. We know that that does not happen nearly as much as the men's rights people say that they happen. Right. Um, but as corporate counsel kind of putting in processes to feel like the accused is being uh, given some measure of process, even if you're a closely held private company, um, it's still an issue um, that a lot of these corporate counsels are, are trying to figure out. So I was kind of, I mean, it was, it was interesting and that kind of like, oh, this is why we can't have nice things. Interesting. Yeah. But it was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So that, totally makes sense why that would be a big deal um were there any since i didn't go to this were there any discussions people kept talking about you they kept saying where's joe oh that's nice because i I was there last year so that i understand why they might remember well what i realize is that when you go to these and i've seen this before at other Mm companies when you go to these things you especially at the the exhibit halls with the yeah you do a very good job of either being interested or feigning interest in what they're (laughs) selling um, yeah. I do a less good job. Of that. Well, I find like I mean some of the stuff is is cool, right? Um, some no. of these products, yeah, well, very like, little. I don't know, like <laughs> I don't know, like especially in the document review space, some of the things that they're now able to do with technology to get through a document review quickly, expeditiously, and in a way that you can uh, you can find quality stuff is impressive. And so I like watching that and hearing what they're up to. So, yeah, there's some fun things in there. But, yes, the, I, I do walk around there a lot. The boredom really reads on my face. So, literally, I'm having a conversation with one. I can't remember who he is or what he was selling, which, you know, goes to show this man is going to turn out to be not wrong. You'll see why. So, you know, whatever. He's talking to me, and I'm like, I'm nodding. You know, I'm trying to keep my eyes open and, and whatever. And halfway through the conversation, he just, like, realizes what's happening. And he goes, so is is, is Joe Patrice here? <laughs> <laughs> Fair no, enough. no, you just, just me. Yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, then like the crestfallenness of like, you're not even, not only are you not going to write about this, you do not understand what I'm saying. <laughs> and I had given him that knowing look back of like, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't know as much about it when I started doing this, uh, certainly. But yeah, I've, over the years, I've, uh, I've gotten to see a lot of cool things. So, you know, but. ACC, catch the tequila. Yeah. So how did ACC, in my experience, did have events with cocktails and drinks that what were they doing with no ice all beer oh wow it was all beer beer and wine yeah i guess wine that's fair that's what emmett smith was having so the oh, other that's right emmett smith was there the other like crazy thing about acc is that like whatever city they're in they bring in usually a a, a sports star usually a football star to come to the actual conference and sign autographs mm-hmm. when they were in san francisco joe montana came out when they were in boston uh, big poppy came out mm-hmm. um so in dallas emmett smith showed up at the acc well, at austin yeah um in austin showed yeah. up at the event um, nice i i decided not to hang around for that i'm too much of a I can still remember. I can remember him separating his shoulder, going to the locker room, then coming out at halftime after halftime and overtime, and just running over the Giants in the playoffs. And like when I saw him walk in, like that is all I could think about. And so I just, I just left. I mean, what? He doesn't need me to be like, I hate you. (laughs) You beat my team twenty five, fifteen years ago. I heard. uh, I heard a cow was involved. At an event, did you hear this one? Somebody told uh, somebody told me that oh, one of the events brought in a steer. 
Yes, yes, that was a... My take on it was that this was not a Texas company, by the way. Oh, okay. Right, that brought in the cow. Um, and it was just like, you're, you're trying too hard, right? You're trying, <laughs> you're trying too hard to be Texas when you have a live steer at your corporate party, right? That's, that's a bit much. I mean, yeah. People were talking about it, though. But, you know, not necessarily. ACC is not Trump world. All press is not good press when you're down there. Yeah. So, fair enough. So, that's ACC. We've had some news here. You know, Yeah, what's been, been going on while I've been away? Because when I go to these things, I do generally radio silence. And, right. You know. So, um, the head of Baker McKenzie has taken a leave of absence, citing exhaustion. Which is usually what their you know, associates feel. Yeah. Well, no, but I, I was saying like that. That's what you hear when like somebody misses a concert. Like <laughs> they've been hospitalized for exhaustion. But yeah, so it's kind of kicked off. While you've been gone, there's been a little undercurrent of people asking questions, like our managing partners and the stress they face uh, really so awful and uh, they're overworked and we don't take enough time to consider the wellness of the managing partner. Oh my God. People are treating that like it's real. Like yeah. that's the, yeah, that, that's, they're not treating the it trend. like it's a cover story. They're treating it like maybe he's just actually exhausted for making $3.3 million a year. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. That is, uh, that is, the that's direct, how you can tell. That's how you can tell I haven't been here. That is the direction <laughs> that it is going. Yes. Um, now, Baker McKenzie has had a series of bad press clippings over the last couple of months. So I'm not altogether sure I don't believe that the guy's actually exhausted. I think that it <laughs> could easily be that this has been the uh, awful, terrible, no good month for Baker McKenzie. So if you have other information about Baker McKenzie, please reach us at tips, T-I-P-S, at Above the Law. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Come on. It's been real bad for them. Come uh, on. So. Exhausted. So, and then he's going to probably, you know, and then he's going to have to spend more time with his family. Could could easily be a, a more time with family situation coming up. Yeah, no, it's, we've had some. In the movie, yeah. Deep Impact. Yeah. One of the ways they figure out that there's a mass, there's a meteor coming and there's been a massive cover up. Is that like the secretary of treasury, like decides to take more time with his family. Secretary of treasury in this movie, by the way, played by, I forget his real name, but okay. Rolo Tarasi. Okay. From L.A. Confidential. The guy who plays that plays the secretary um, in Deep Impact. And the reporter is just doesn't buy the more time with my family line and like goes and hunts down and eventually figures out what the hell's going on. But the fun thing about that is that, no, he really did, with the impending doom of the meteor, yeah. he really did want to spend more time with his family. Well, there you go. So sometimes it's true. Fair enough. If there's a giant meteor coming for your company or country, maybe you really do want to spend more time with your family. I mean, the firm kind of colossally botched a Me Too issue uh, recently with a partner. And then there are rumors that they were the f mysterious firm involved in a London overworking issue. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but we've or even a lot to of say people that. are. Yeah, I mean, I, we have multiple people saying that they believe that was the firm oh, okay. involved. Um, and not that it was anything illegal, or but it was just it was just a PR headache kind yeah. of a thing. Uh, An and exhausting that, one. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I could totally see this guy maybe is a little exhausted because it's been one fire after another for Baker McKenzie of the last few weeks. So, But so do you really think that, you know, I mean, we often are accused probably accurately of having more of a 
being more on the associate side in the grand associate versus partner war. Um, but do you think maybe we are giving short change to the pressures that partners feel? I mean, they it's not like that $3.3 million just shows up. A lot of it is because they have to kind of constantly be on. They're the ones actually getting yelled at by the clients. Uh, and when you add on top of that the responsibilities of managing a global entity and practicing, uh, is it possible that we should have a little bit more sympathy for the stress that these folks face? Yeah, I mean, as I get older and as I take on more senior and more managerial roles, even in my life, um, no, no, I don't think that we 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 uh, are in danger of not giving enough credence to the pressures of management. Um, obviously, they're obvious. Look, heavy lies the crown. Fine, yeah. I get that, but. First of all, as Don Draper might say, that's what the money's for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like they're not being a lot of these people are not being paid simply for their legal expertise. They're being paid because they have shown over the course of their training, which included being an associate under an intense amount of pressure, is that they can handle the pressure, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's part of the the compensation package, right? B, and I think this is where I this is one of the reasons why I so often side with associates in these general disputes. Anybody can handle responsibility if you have enough control to effectuate the things that you are responsible for. Mm-hmm. The nadir is when you have responsibility and no control, right? So associates are often in a situation, and mid-level senior associates, junior partners even sometimes, are often in a situation where they are responsible for a whole host of matters, but have very little control over how they proceed, what the timing is, what the scheduling is, what the deals are, ma- what deals are made with the clients. They have no control over that. They are just given, you know, kind of a work order, and right. then mush, go finish the race. Right? right. At senior management levels, you do have some control over those things. Right. Yes, the client is going to have demands. You, the senior partner, are the only person involved in the whole. Uh, sphere here who has any attempt, any ability to push back against the client. Now, if you're too scared to push back against the client because you're afraid that they'll take their business elsewhere, if you don't know how to effectively advocate for yourself and your team, those can be issues, but those are your problems, right? What you're supposed to do, if the client is making unreasonable demands, senior partner level management are the only people in the game that can say, hey, that's an unreasonable demand. That's going to lead to low quality work. Ike, look, I'll take your money, but you're going to want us to do this in this way as opposed to that way. They're the only people who can do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, life is tough. But, like, these are people with senior management are people with a lot of responsibility, but also with some modicum of control over their environment that their underlings do not have. And so I have to choose which to feel sympathy for. And granted, you know, to be clear, I don't like to name the lobsters regardless. I don't like to feel sympathy for anybody. But if I'm going to have sympathy for somebody, um, it's going to be the person that has that same level of workload and nobody asked him or her Mm -hmm. um, how they wanted to manage it. That's fair. So what about you? You you feel? No, I mean, I I I do think that. Look, I I think that the whole. The media response to this has gone a little bit overboard in the direction of wellness. Uh, Look, things are stressful. I get it. But that is what the money's for. I agree with all that. I do think, though, that it's probably – so all this, we should start really thinking about how – 
all managing partners are being treated and take care of them. I, I That's overboard. But I do think there's something to be said for the pressures of running a global firm at this point are higher than they've ever been, given the way in which, you know, costs are going up, demand seems flat, the big firms are, I mean, they're, in this case, it is actually a big firm, but like anybody who's not at one of the top elite firms is getting their lunch eaten by the kind of stratification of boutiques and smaller firms taking work from general counsel and the big elite firms taking work and that middle is getting crunched. You know, I could see that this is a rough job and it's worth remembering there are people who are doing this and who have, you know, feelings and stuff, but... Yeah, yeah. I don't like name I think monsters. I think it's gone a little bit overboard, but I don't. I do have some sympathy for it. I can't. I mean, talk about. So not only are we buying the cover story, but we're now feeling sorry for the purveyor of the cover story. That's that's where we are. I mean, I think the cover story is accurate. I think. I mean, not that it's exhaustion, but I definitely think it's stress. I think it's. This is ridiculous. I've worked every day this last month on putting out PR fires. I didn't sign up for this. I think that that's true. Yeah. And that broadly fits under the word exhaustion. Sure. You know what happened when I reached my level of exhaustion? I had to quit. Yeah. I had to leave all that money on the I can't go back. Yeah. You know, there's there's no sabbatical when you're a junior associate, you either eat the hours or you wash out, Yeah. right? You eat the hours or you find something else to do with your life, which is not the position that any of these people are going to be in. That's fair. No, no, no parachute for me, for my soft, right? And that's true for so many. I'm not talking about people who just get straight up. I mean, people who want to keep the job and get fired. I'm talking about people like me who could have kept the job if they could have kept kind of eating all those hours and there's no soft landing for those people when it's time for them to get out. So again, the word sympathy is not the right word because I don't feel it as like a human emotion, but like, yeah. <laughs> certainly if I was going to feel it, it's going to be for the eighth year who just now realized they are still a good six to 8,000 hours away from even being considered partner. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I'm increasingly hearing that the eight-year model that we all kind of grew up on is non-existent. Yeah, is, I, no I, one is really believing that anymore, which is unfortunate. Younger listeners are going to think that I pulled eight years out of my ass. Yeah, right. No, As opposed it used to, to be. it used to actually being a thing. Yeah. Well, so finally, we have new a new law school ranking out, a new methodology. Oh God, uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, I wrote Tell a, me that Penn is number one because Amy Wax is just so... No, 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 no. It's not number one. Uh, number one is... Hold on, I gotta find this. Number one is... <laughs> see, this is why we have sound effects. Uh, NYU. Is, oh, this is like the worst of all possible worlds. Yeah, no. Um, but the reasoning actually makes some sense. So... Keggers? No, the... Um, the model, what he did with this model is he took kind of Brian Leiter's long sitting out there, who's the bet most important academics uh, ranking that people, he has. People still read that? Well, I mean, no. But it's out there, and it's it does a job of counting citations across the field so that you can kind of say, like, hey, this person wrote something, and everybody in the field thinks it's important enough to cite, so that means something. So... He took those numbers, but rather, th but he also said, "Look, 
we don't need a setup where um, if you're Harvard and have three of the best con law people in the world, but you know aren't teaching anyone how to do contracts, then you're not really performing at your peak capacity. Harvard obviously is not one of those schools that's going to have that problem as much, but that was what he did. And so the uh, the plan was to use those numbers. And uh, J.B. Heaton, by the way, is the person who did this study, uh, took those numbers, took them across fields and said, oh, you know, these are different specialties. And who puts together basically the best faculty team, the best academics, according to that lighter thing, but balanced by having them in all these subfields and subgenres of law so that like it shows that you have a broad faculty that can accomplish a lot of different things. Which I think is important because if you go, if you think of going to law school as one, a professional school, but two, one that you've probably entered without knowing exactly where you want your career to go, it's actually kind of valuable to know that if you decide, hey, family law or whatever is my thing, that there are actually people there who know how to teach that and are smart people at that. So. Yeah, I don't think I agree with any of that. Um, a, did he... Well, you went to the second best law school on here, so I can understand why you might not be at my level here. <laughs> A question about methodology. Mm-hmm. Did he adjust for size of school? Because one of the things that most bad rankings don't do, um, one of the things that most bad rankings do is that they don't adjust for the size of the school. Uh, size would not matter in this instance because it's just about being able to have consistently somebody who is a high-ranked professor in each field. Yale still needs to have a professor covering each field, right? Does it? So that comes to my second issue, right? Does Yale need to have a really good professor in divorce law to be the best law school? Are there people who go to Yale Law School who are looking to go to top law schools and find out that their matrimonial law professor was not up to snuff and thus they cannot get a job? Is that Does that actually happen or is that something completely created in the mind of some goddamn researcher who isn't actually thinking about how kids get jobs in this market? Well, there's not... That wasn't one of the... the subspecialties. Um, so the core the core specialties are civil procedure, con law, contracts, crim law, evidence, real property, and torts. Those are all bar exam topics. Those are bar exam topics. Yeah. They're not all, you know, you, you don't... Yes, people going to Yale might be interested in becoming a commercial litigator or, or being a torts, you know, knowing about torts. Yes, they do. Now, granted, they are actually going to end up being the defense minister of some small nation, but <laughs> they go to school with the, the the professional school attempts to do that. Yale is only it, Yale's four on this list. It's not like they're they're bad, um, <laughs> but uh, Columbia fits in at three. Look, I'm crapping on the list a little bit. I am all for all different ways of looking at the strengths of law schools besides U.S. News. Not that U.S. News is even bad, but just like that's not the uh, – the U.S. News looks at law schools in a certain way. There are lots of different ways to skin the cat. There are lots of different ways to be able to value the strength of a law school in one area as opposed to another. Any – my thing to students is always don't take any one list as gospel. 
look at them all. Look yeah, at them all. I mean, that's, I agree with that. You know, and talk to as many people as you can. And because law school are law schools are much more nuanced and complicated than can possibly be captured by any one ordinal list. Yeah, I think that's right. But I just think I, I really find this list fascinating. And for not just student prospective students, though that's valuable, but also the schools themselves in gauging where they have weaknesses when trying to build a faculty, uh, adding a fourth person who's a con law expert uh, may not be as valuable as getting some property people in there. Because yeah, inter- it's interesting that you aren't as big a fan of this because I feel like this list – captures something that you often complain about with the way law schools work, which is this kind of belief that it's not a professional school. Uh, And I think this list kind of speaks to, well, maybe it should be, that here are core things that you need to know to pass a bar exam and then go out and practice who's doing the best job of teaching all of those things. And I think that kind of speaks to your philosophy in a lot of ways. Right, but my philosophy is also kind of fundamentally based on a two-tier system. Yeah. Right, that that there's one group of law schools that have become quite good at training federal judges and future defense ministers and, right. and the like, right? And that they don't need a ranking that's, that's still fundamentally, slightly reordering them, but fundamentally still um, pimping the schools that we already know are the best schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much value that's adding. At that second tier, and we can debate for days about where to make the cutoff or whatever, but at some tier of law school, then they should no longer be trying to teach you how to be a federal judge, and they should instead be trying to teach you how to go out and get a real job. Right. And so while, yes, this would suggest that we're going to that, then my, my issue, but my issue then is going to be kind of like where I was going with, does Yale need a matrimonial law pra- practice leader? Probably not. Does the University of Typewriting in Bridgeport law need a matrimonial professor? Yeah, they probably do. You know what they don't need? A real property professor, because you're not doing trusts and estates going to Bridgeport community law. Yeah. So You're, you might be doing simple wills, but then how are you? You went to law school to point your client to the right legal Zoom template. But I, but I hear you there. But again, this this study also looked at categories that had another ranking where it went through, and not just those core professional categories. Those were included also, but this actually comes from Leiter's original uh, study. But it also had like. Legal ethicists, critical theory, antitrust to be a little bit more core, uh, more professional, but also law, philosophy, law and economics. So it it had a broader one that included those training of federal judge kind of things. Uh, And in that list, when you include all of those things, number one is still NYU. Um, But why don't you marry this list? Yeah, I know. Well, because I think it's fantastic. Um, No, but it does speak to why why I've always been kind of on the NYU. And despite what people might think, because I make fun of them in a gentle, teasing sort of way, Columbia. The reason why I've always kind of been on the NYU and Columbia side uh, when I'm talking about good law schools is I really feel like because they are not Yale or Stanford, which are very we're a small group of people who are training the new, the the next tier of aristocrats. Uh, and Harvard, who I actually think is a good, a great school, but kind of fits, it's always, 
it's kind of in this weird hybrid state because it's chip on its shoulder about not being Yale means that they do some things that are Yaleish that are dumb. But I think it's the it's also good. But like NYU and Columbia specifically are where you tick over in that line to, you know what, maybe the answer is we just put out a lot of good lawyers who are going to go do lawyery things. Uh, and so this list, I thought, did a really good job of showing that NYU, Harvard, and Columbia are the schools that do the best job of building a massive team that crosses a lot of disciplines and gives students the access to the best opportunity of having great minds in a lot of different categories. So that's why I really liked it. I am not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with that. Yeah. I'm not gonna, so. And really, if you're if you're listening at home or in your car and you're actually trying to choose between oh Harvard or Yale or Columbia or in a way, don't worry. It's yeah, you're it, gonna be fine. It's gonna work out. Yeah. You made the right call. Yeah, you're going to be fine. You're going to have a great career for a couple of years and then wash out. So, no, that's probably not the case. I right. end up drinking tequila in Austin because there's no ice. Yeah. All right. So uh, with that, uh, thank you all for joining us. You should be subscribed to this show already so that you get new episodes. But if you aren't, you should uh, do that now. You should give it reviews, give it stars, give it a little write-up. Just something short, just like, these guys are great. Um, would be awesome because it helps the algorithm figure out where we should be. You should read Above the Law every day, two or three times a day even. You know, keep hitting refresh over and over and over again. That would be great. Uh, also, you should follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. You should, uh, what else? Oh, listen to all of our podcasts between the Jabot or the anything on the Legal Talk Network. I always give the plug for On the Road because I occasionally host that one. Uh, and with that, I think we've uh, covered everything. So talk to you later. Do you ever drink so much that... When you wake up in the morning, your fingers are shriveled like you've been in the bath too long? No. No, you have a medical problem. You should seek help. No, I, I was really dehydrated in Austin. Yeah. No, I, I don't have those problems when I drink. I can just keep drinking. Running water. Yeah. One of the most important innovations ever by modern man. <laughs> Fair enough. Probably not just man. Probably. Probably. Modern humanity is obviously less gender specific. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's it. I'm leaving now. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.